the difficulty in today's sermon, the challenge that we face with the parable of the sower is not really the parable itself. That's not really that difficult. The problem is, is getting at the heart of the matter. I mean, the first homiletical help for this text is, in fact, Jesus himself who reads it and explains it to us. And even though Jesus gives it to us plainly, it's still difficult for us to realize it. We still consistently get this parable wrong. I, I can't tell you how many people will hear sermons today on this text, and the sermon will will generally say, be good soil. Be good soil. Right. Don't let the birds steal your seed. Don't don't be rocky soil. If your pastor happens to be sort of a, a nice gardener type, she might say, be a perennial, not an annual. I had to look what those were to make sure I got them right. Don't let the cares of the world grow up like thorns and choke you. Be good soil. Except this is not what Jesus is talking about. Not at all. Paul's no help. I mean, we hear Paul from last week, right? The good that I want to do, I don't do. And the evil that I don't want to do, that's what I do. Be good soil, though. Verse 1 begins with that same day. Now, Matthew doesn't give us a lot of ideas as to where this day begins, but chapter 12, I think, is very appropriate. Jesus and his disciples are walking to the synagogue on the Sabbath. And as the disciples are walking by, they're sort of absentmindedly plucking heads of grain rubbing them and popping the seeds in their mouth and eating. And the text clearly says that they're hungry. So they're walking to the synagogue, hungry, eating grain as it grows by the side of the road or as they're walking through a field. And somebody calls them out for working on the Sabbath. Jesus responds by telling them two sections from Scripture. First of all, he brings up David, who he and his men, on being hungry, went into the temple and ate the bread of the presence and got away with it. And number two, the priests also work on the Sabbath and nobody says anything to them about it. The, the, clearly the response there is that the Sabbath is made for man, not man made for the Sabbath. This leads to a bit of kerfluffle when he does get to the, semina- to, to, to the seminary, to the synagogue When he gets to the synagogue, they know where they're going with him this morning. And so I'm going to read this section. He went on from there and he entered the synagogue. This is verse 10. And a man was there with a withered hand. And they asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? And they did this so that they might accuse him. And he says unto them, which one of you has a sheep? And if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out. How much more valuable is a man than a sheep? So what is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath? And then he said to the man with the shriveled hand, he says, 
stretch out your hand. And the man stretched it out, and his hand was healthy, just like the other one. It was one of my favorite lessons of Jesus healing on the Sabbath, because Jesus doesn't do anything. He doesn't spit. He doesn't say anything. He doesn't say, put it in your hand, or put it in your cloak, or do any. He just, he's talking about the Sabbath. And about doing good. Just be good soil. Right? My point here is, this has not been a a great day for Jesus. This was not the day at the synagogue that he had intended. He goes on to teach about a tree and good fruits. He talks about the sign of Jonah to this present generation. And then, at the end of the chapter... Jesus' mother, Mary, and his brothers show up. They have heard about him and what people are saying about him. And they have come to collect Jesus. This starts our texts. Jesus switches from speaking plainly to the people to start speaking, to speaking about parables. He goes down to the, to the shore. Where I believe he's in Capernaum. He goes down to the shore and sits there and the crowd follows him. So he gets in the boat, pulls off a little ways and begins to speak. And he speaks, he speaks in parables, which, which do two things. One of them we'll talk about in a minute. But one of them does is that it lessens the offense. Because when he speaks plainly, they're offended. They're scandalized. But it also elicits growth in the kingdom of God as hiddenness. The word of God and the workings of the word of God are hidden from the world. In spite of the world's opposition, all of the parables, all the parables of this chapter we're going to cover over the next three weeks, or at least I, I plan to cover them. Things I'm going to talk about them all at the same time here. I may punt next week and just do the Old Testament lesson. We'll see. Tune in next week for another exciting lesson of what in the world is pastor going to do. All of these texts are about the same thing. All of these parables are about the same thing. Now, he's talking to a mixed audience. He's got his family there. His mother's there. He's got friends there. He's got enemies there. He's got Pharisees, some of which we know accepted his teaching later on in life, some of which have already declared themselves to be enemies of Jesus. So to a mixed audience, he teaches in parables. And and you've got to believe that Jesus earnestly wants them to understand what the Word of God is like and how the Word of God grows The parable of the sower tells the story of the entry of the word of God into the world. In spite of all of the difficulty, in spite of all of the threats, in spite of all of the resistance, the word of God comes into the world. It invades the world and take roots and it grows and it produces fruit. Sometimes a hundredfold, other times 60, sometimes it's 30. But it grows. And it works. 
The kingdom grows. And it parallels the working of the parables themselves. It happens before people's eyes, and yet they don't see it. It happens in their hearing, and yet they don't hear it. The kingdom of of heaven is like a mustard seed that a man took and he sowed into his field. And it's the smallest of all of the seeds. But once it grows, it grows into one of the greatest of the, the garden trees. And the birds of the air come and they make their home in this tree. The kingdom of heaven is like a woman who hid in three measures of flour a little leaven. It's imperceivable. The word of God, the working of the spirit is imperceivable. What, what is a tiny little grain of, a, a tiny little mustard seed to the world? Does the world care about a tiny little mustard seed? Of course not. As far as the world goes, it's nothing. It's just a tiny little seed. What's, what's one woman's batch of dough to the world? What's one loaf of bread to a family? It's, it's nothing. It's nothing. The kingdom of heaven is nothing. To those that are perishing, it's nothing. It's ludicrousness. It's ridiculousness. It's an object of eye rolls and ridicules. There's nothing to it. But to the person who has been given faith, who has eyes that see, who has ears that can hear, to them is given much, much more. Much more than the world ever, ever, ever imagines. The parable of the weeds shows that the growth of the word happens, but it doesn't happen in a vacuum. The word is is vulnerable to the attempts of the enemy to sabotage it during all stages of its growth. And we, we who have eyes, we who have ears, we who are the children of light, we who are the salt of the earth, we who are the holy nation of God, we who are the heirs to the kingdom of God, we see more, we feel more, and we know more. Which is why it's so frustrating sometimes, isn't it? We see seeds snatched away by birds. And it's hurtful. We see people driven away by Christ or driven away from Christ by persecutions, by tribulations. It's just so much easier to be a child of this world than it is to be a a child of the kingdom. That it's just as easy to just hide in the thorns. It's hurtful. Because we feel more. The planting of the sower remains vulnerable to the enemy's attacks. And even though the attacks are real, even though the attacks are painful and the loss is real, still our parable tells us that the word of the Lord is strong and pure and it continues to work. Even sometimes when we don't think we see it. It is the invasion of the reign of God, and it's too small to attract the world's attention. It grows into something that touches every part of the world. It grows into something that touches every part of the rule. It it grows into a shelter for those that can see it and hear it. 
How can this possibly come about given that the world, the world is filled with pecking birds and strangling thorns and withering sun and noxious weeds? And yet it still grows. It grows because people know what a treasure is when they found it. This third set of parables, Jesus says again, the kingdom of heaven is like a man in search of fine pearls and finding a pearl of great value. He goes and he sells everything that he has and he purchases this one tiny pearl. Because it is of immense value as to trade everything else to have it. Our Old Testament lesson really helps us out in this today. Isaiah chapter 55 is easily Jesus' sermon text for Matthew chapter 13, the sermon by the sea. Isaiah 55 provides the proper context for our parable. Because if we don't have Isaiah 55 standing behind us, it's easy for us to abuse this text and think, well, the sower has sown all this seed, but only a little of it germinates. Only a little of it is of value. It's almost a a fourth of what he sows doesn't have any value at all. That's not what the sower is about. Isaiah chapter 55 We'll start at verse 10. Isaiah says, Seek the Lord where he may be found. Call upon him when he's near. Let the wicked forsake his ways. Let the unrighteous person forsake his thoughts. Let him return unto the Lord that that he may have compassion upon him. Then our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. And neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. As as high as the heavens are from the earth, so my ways are from your ways, and my thoughts are from your thoughts. The extravagance of the sower, the sheer grandiose extravagance of the sower who just flings seeds everywhere. This is, this is a ridiculous story. No person in their right mind, no right-minded farmer would ever be so ridiculous in sowing seeds everywhere. You prepare the ground and then you sow your seeds in these places because your seeds are so valuable. Our sower in our parable sows seeds on the paths. He sows them in the ditches. He throws them across the street. He doesn't care. He will put a seed anywhere. Because our sower is extravagant. His goals are so grandiose. And his treasury is so robust that he just flings seeds everywhere. If this guy was working in your field, you would not only fire him, you'd whip him. Because <laughs> he's just got seeds going Everywhere. His goals are universal. His ways are very particular. Verse 10, Isaiah says, As for the rain and the sun come down from heaven and earth and do not return, but water the earth by making it 
bring forth sprout and giving seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so shall my word that goes out of my mouth. It shall not return to me empty. It will accomplish that which I propose. And it will succeed at the thing for which I have sent it. The extravagance of the sower in flinging seeds upon the path and in flinging seeds onto the rocky soil and the shallow soil, it is a perfect picture of the grace of our God. It is a perfect picture of the grace and the composure of our God. It is a perfect picture of the mercy of our Lord God who just sends seeds everywhere. Verse 12, For you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. And the mountains and the hills before you, thou shalt break forth into singing. And the trees of the field are going to clap their hands. Instead of thorns, you'll have cypress trees. And instead of briars, you're going to have myrtles come up. And it shall be the name of the Lord, an everlasting shine sign that shall not be cut off. The extravagance of our sower and flinging seeds upon the path and flinging seeds on the rocky ground, flinging seeds into shallow soil is the perfect picture of the word of God doing its thing. Not only that, but the word of God is successful. And a lot of times it's successful in ways that we couldn't even imagine. Hundred, sixty, thirty-fold. Our homiletical point here is that sometimes it's really easy for us to lose heart. Sometimes it's really easy when we're paying attention to the world. It's really easy for us to think, oh my goodness, the world is going to hell in a handbasket. Well, it always has been, just by the way. Ask the people who endured the flood in Noah's day. Ask the slaves who labored by the Israelites in Egypt. Ask the Canaanites. It's always been like this. And it's easy to give up. It's easy to watch the news and go, oh my goodness. It's easy to see the end of the world. We've got a, a news media today that says if this candidate wins, it's going to be the end of the world. If this candidate wins, it's going to be the end of the world. Everybody's like, it's the end of the world. I've been hearing this story since Reagan. And I don't remember it before that because I was too young. But I'm pretty sure they probably said the same thing with FDR and everybody else that before... You know, this is it. This is it. This last election. This is the last election cycle the world is ever going to see. And if the wrong guy wins, the wrong guy wins. We're going to, we're all going to die. It's not the end of the world. Viruses, plagues, wars, rumors of wars, riots, civil unrests. Trust the extravagance of the sower. He knows what he's doing. He knows exactly what's going on in your life and in my life and has a cosmic plan. Trust the sower. This is not the end of the world. I mean, we're closer today than we were yesterday. We're going to be closer tomorrow than we are today. 
And maybe it comes. And if it does come, then thanks be unto God. Look unto the hills. Rise up your heads, you mighty gates. For your salvation comes. And if he doesn't come tomorrow, then trust the sower. He knows what he's doing. He's flinging seeds. He's flinging seeds. Verse 10, the disciples came to him and said, why do you, this is not part of our lesson today. They drop it out. I wish they wouldn't. The disciples came to him and said, why do you speak to them in parables? And he answers, to you it's been given to know the secrets of heaven and earth. It's been given to you, but not to them. That's why they're losing their minds. Because they don't know the secret to the sower. They don't know the extravagance of your God. They don't trust in anybody but themselves. They only trust in what they can see and hold and, and, and hold as close as they can. And as far as they know, tomorrow the, the, the raiders are coming from down the hills and they're going to take everything you have. They're going to destroy everything and lay, lay waste in because they don't trust anybody. Houses are made out of sand. Jesus says, for anyone who has more will be given and he will have an abundance. But to the one that doesn't have, even what he has is going to be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables. Because they do not see. And hearing, they do not hear. And they do not understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophet of Isaiah has fulfilled what is said. For this people's hearts has grown dull. And with their ears they can barely hear. And with their eyes they have closed. Lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears. And understand with their hearts in turn. And I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes because they see. Blessed are your ears because they hear. See and hear the word of God. It has value, even though it's imperceivable as far as the world is concerned. It still works. Trust the extravagance of the sower who has pledged to be with you day in, day out. He will be there. He has always been with us. Because he is our God. And we are his people. The sheep of his pasture. The lambs of his flock. In God's name. Trust the extravagance of the sower. In Jesus name. Amen.